0: Welcome to the Staff Room, an education podcast which takes a look into the world of pedagogy. In this series, we meet educators far and wide to chat about teaching and learning and share outstanding practice. My name is Michael Royale, and I'm sitting here with Tessa Johnson, and we're coming to you from Corpus Christi College in Perth, Australia.
1: In this episode, we'll be chatting about student engagement, mindset, and wellbeing with our special guest, Dan Hassler. Dan is an international keynote speaker educator, writer and consultant from Sydney, Australia. In recent years, Dan has become known for being one of Asia-Pacific's most dynamic, energetic and passionate educational thinkers, and has presented alongside the likes of Sir Ken Robinson. Stay with us to hear what he's got to say. If
2: you want to get authentic engagement, then the first thing you need to consider is the level or the sense of belonging that the student feels either in the school in general or in particular in, in your classroom. Do they feel comfortable um, to be themselves in your, in your classroom? Do they feel safe? Do they feel valued? Do they feel trusted, respected, cared for?
0: I'm Michael Royale.
1: And I'm Tessa Johnson.
0: And this is The Staff Room.
1: So we are at episode four now for The Staff Room and another special guest lined up today, um, Dan Hassler, who... Yeah, I guess there's a little bit of an educational celebrity, isn't he, here in Australia? Um, Been pinned Australia's answer to Sir Ken Robinson, which is a pretty big, pretty big title. Um, pretty
0: high accolades.
1: Yeah. Uh, Michael, I know you have read his book, haven't you?
0: Yeah, um, I, I haven't. I'm really looking forward to interviewing him. Um, the stuff he says, not just in his book, but also some of the videos I've watched of him is so, so engaging. He's so enthusiastic and I can't wait to hear what he has to say.
1: And his book is um, incredibly accessible, isn't it? Because it's it's really just a collection of blog posts, isn't it? And blog posts are obviously designed to be, you know, quite accessible and, and quick and efficient. And so it's the sort of book that you can just pick up and read a chapter and get so much out of that chapter and then go and apply that into the classroom. So, yet yeah, massive respect for him from a writing perspective and, yeah, super interested to see what he's got to say.
0: Yeah, definitely. Let's get started, shall we?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: Dan Hasler is a well-known speaker and consultant. His recent book, School of Thought, is a collection of essays and blog posts which offer opinions and ideas on engagement, mindset, and well-being. He joins us via Skype today to share and reflect on his ideas.
1: So, Dan, welcome to the staff room. And to start us off, we are just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah, sure. So, uh, my name is Dan Hasler, and I'm a Former PE teacher. I uh, used to work in high schools in inner city Manchester and then in Sydney for about uh, 15 years. Uh, but now I'm director of Cutthrough Coaching and Consulting, and we work with all different kinds of organisations lots in the education space, but also in the corporate world and um, elite sporting organisations and the not for profit sector, all around issues of um, engagement, mindset, well being, and, and leadership.
1: Fantastic, and i uh, are actually going to start off asking you a question about engagement because um, we know that a lot of your keynotes are based around engagement, and you sort of talk about how engagement doesn't equal compliance or mm. busyness. And mm. we're wondering, actually, what do you think real engagement actually actually looks like in schools?
2: Yeah, engagement is—it's one of those words which is used a lot in schools. Um, I guess if we were to look at the, uh, you know, a, a definition of it. Uh, Authentic engagement is one where you're uh, living a life, you know, high on interest, curiosity. You're absorbed in what you do. Um, the goals that you have are really meaningful to you, and and you sort of pursue those with like a, you know real tenacity and determination, and 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 the completion of those goals kind of. You know, it, it, it fills you with, you know, this real sense of achievement and it makes you feel better. It actually, you know, improves your sense of self, self-efficacy. Um, whereas a lot of what we see in schools, if we're being honest, you probably don't see that. You, you might see a lot of people doing stuff and a lot of work being done, a lot of tasks being completed. Um, but really, I try and um, explore that the, the space between, if you like, in between being on task and really being immersed in a task, moving beyond the idea of the compliant kid or, you know, if we're talking about students, the compliant student who's doing as they're told um, through to someone who is, you know, on task but can really articulate the, the deeper sense of meaning and purpose that they, they have around that.
1: Well, that just sounds like a teacher's dream, doesn't it? To get, you, <laughs> to get your kids to be truly engaged.
0: Yeah. And with that, Dan, um, can you actually give some teachers advice on or any tips on what's needed for genuine engagement?
2: Yeah, sure. So uh, to be clear, it's, you, you can be genuinely engaged if you're busy. What I'm talking about is something that they call authentic engagement, which, you know, so you can be genuine. We're all genuinely busy. Right. Um, but whether we're genuine, uh, authentically engaged in that genuine Busyness. that's that's a distinction to make but to be clear you know the, the, there is essentially four considerations that if you want to enhance engagement in your classroom to, to get beyond you know those passive engagers who are doing the work but don't really know why or those people who are doing the work simply because everyone else is or the teachers told them to or because it's going to be on the test and you know they've been told it's important if you want to get authentic engagement then the first thing you need to consider is the level or the sense of belonging that the student feels either in the school in general or in particular in, in your classroom do they feel comfortable um, to be themselves in your in your classroom do they feel safe do they feel valued do they feel trusted, respected, cared for? Because if they don't, If they don't feel that they belong around you, then no amount of fancy iPad apps or, you know, cool innovative teaching approaches is really going to help if the kid feels that they don't belong. So a sense of belonging is critical. Once they have that, then we talk about autonomy or agency, you know, a sense of voice and choice it's not we're not saying that you know we hand the reins over to the kids and they um you know they tell us what they're going to learn but it we do give them a space to um, articulate their learning in ways which is more appropriate for them or uh, you know um, and we give them different avenues i guess to demonstrate their understanding because most curriculum documents asks Students to demonstrate understanding in a lot of spaces, which means you can demonstrate that understanding in almost an infinite amount of ways. It doesn't mean we need 30 essays on the one topic. Um, So, this sense of agency, sense of ownership. Then we talk about mastery or competence, which really plays into another area that I spend a lot of time working around, which is mindset. So, broadly speaking, you know to be authentically engaged you have to feel competent you have to feel that you can actually do up until a point what it is you're being asked to do but furthermore that you know that there is what you might call a stretch zone just ahead of you which is you know it's gonna it's, this is gonna challenge me I, i'm okay at the moment and i'm going all right i'm comfortable here but i know that there's something coming but i feel like i've got the skills to at least make a start on that and then the the last one is this you know the, the question that every kid asks when you set a piece of ta a piece of work is why are we doing this so and that comes down to the purpose and essentially the the higher the purpose the more likely it is that people are going to engage so if something um you know, why why are we doing this? Oh, we've just got to get through it, right? Which is sometimes what we say. We just have to do it. Then it's unlikely that people are going to be jumping out of their chairs to to get involved in that, you know what I mean? We just have to do it, we just get through it. Um, But if it's going to be on the test, all of a sudden stakes are raised. If it's um, because you're going to, not only is it on the test, but uh, we're producing it for an authentic audience, for example, I don't know. We're going to publish it online for other people to read. Then, again, that that level of um, purpose, that level of the reason for doing something, is suddenly enhanced. And for me, one of the biggest areas to look at is um, how how can we not all the time, obviously, but how can we have kids doing authentic work which actually makes a difference to someone? You know, whether that's through projects, whether it's through writing, whether it's through music, whether it's through you know, uh, numeracy, maths. How can we get kids learning to do things which can actually impact other people, rather than just for the sake of ticking a box?
1: Yeah, I, actually, one of the um, one of your drawings from your book actually reminds me of that. You've got sort of a teacher and a, a student talking. And the teacher says, "Now this will be important when you're older." And the kid mm. says, "Oh, I'll just worry about it then." then. Yeah, and I, I mean that, that.
2: Yeah, most of the drawings in my book are fairly flippant, um, but uh, but it is, you know, like you'll need this when you're older. Is one of the worst things I think you can tell anyone, particularly a 15 year old boy. It's like they don't give a toss what they're doing on Friday, let alone what they're doing in five years' time. So um, yeah, it's. Uh, it, it is an inexhaustible. That, that's, that's
1: very relevant for a lot of teachers, though. That's making mm. something real world relevant by saying, "Oh no, but you will use this one day, so so mm. listen up." But you're yeah. right. So the mindset of a 15 year old boy is not going to be, "Oh yeah, I'm mm. gonna I'm gonna store this to my to my long term memory and whip yeah. it out later when I'm <laughs> exactly, 45." Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Uh, now, Dan, in your book, you mentioned that you have developed a continuum a continuum of engagement. Can you explain this to us?
2: Yeah, okay. So I put I haven't developed this continuum. This continuum is actually um, the work of a guy called Philip Schlechti, who's um, an American um, educationalist. But it's certainly a continuum that um, I use a lot, both uh, with students and, and with adults. And the reason I use a continuum of engagement is to try and break away from the... Um, the argument that you know you're either engaged or you're not engaged you know we either have engaged students or disengaged students i want to try and challenge that and say well in any given organization or any given um, classroom you've got people who sit on on this continuum so down at the bottom end of the continuum you've got rebellion so these are the kids or the the adults who have basically gone nah this isn't for me i'm out now what you find about rebellion is that well if you if you've worked in any more than one school or if you've been in any other than one school as a student or whatever, or at types of school, you'll know that different organisations tolerate different things. What's seen as rebellion in one school is just seen as well. It's just the norm in in another. You know, so kids, for example, um, you know, not having their tie done up properly, right? Now, for most teachers listening to this podcast, I would imagine that probably doesn't register that high. ...on the rebellious behaviour chart. But in some schools... It is a huge issue, you know, and kids get hauled over the coals for it and it's a massive discipline problem. So um, in other schools, you know, if a, t- if a kid tells a teacher to F off, you know, that's it, end of end of days kind of thing, where in another setting, and, and in some settings I work, um, it, we don't see that as a discipline issue. We, we see it as an expression that there's obviously some dramas and whilst we don't condone, clearly, to be clear here, I'm not saying we condone the language, but we know that by discipline that kid or, or suspending that kid or, or sending them out of where where we're working that's actually the last thing that that kid needs so th- this idea of rebellion most you know most of your kids aren't rebelling because if most of your kids aren't rebelling then you don't have a school so we, we tend to um, shift up our, our norms depending on, on our context but the next step up the continuum from rebellion is one where Plenty of kids uh, inhabit, which is what we call the retreatist uh, engagement. Retreaters. Now these are the kids who turn up every day, but then do whatever they can to get out of doing whatever it is we've asked them to do. You know. So as a PE teacher, I used to get all those classic excuses about forgotten kit, and you know, or um, didn't realise I had it, or the note, the injuries, all that kind of stuff. And today, you know, if your school um, is a BYOD, we've opened up a real can of worms because now kids are coming in and saying, oh, they couldn't log on last night or um, they saved it to the the, the drive but now they open up and oh it's not there you know which is curious because most of our digital citizenship lessons are around telling kids that you know you've got to be careful what you put, put up online because once it's there it's there forever you can never erase it and yet somehow these kids magically find a way to put something up online and, and then it's disappeared um, so yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course right and so retreaters are quite interesting kids though because they tend to be really nice. Because they wouldn't get away with that behaviour unless they were really nice. They, they're really good at playing people off and they've got great emotional intelligence usually. And so these kids don't become a problem until they become a problem, which is usually report writing time. And you're into week six or seven, you go, I've got nothing on this kid. You know, you've got to write 300 words on how nice they are. So... Um, you know, because why, why, are, why aren't they a problem? Because we're too busy with the rebellious kids and we're busy focusing on the kids who are further up the continuum of engagement who are actually doing the work, which takes us to this next batch. You know, the kids who are doing the work but don't really know why. And, and we find this hard to believe that people could do this. You know, people could be doing stuff and not know why, but if you ask kids why you're learning stuff, Every now and then a kid will turn around and say, I've got no idea. You know that Even though they're doing it. And they could be doing it because the learning intentions up there and the success criteria is up there. So they know what they're doing, what they're learning, and they know how to learn it. But they can't tell you the deeper reason for it. And then the most common kind of engagement that you'd see is what we call ritual engagement. Because most kids can tell you why they're doing it. You told them to. You know, the teacher told them to every every kid in the class is doing it. And so and, and organizations require this. You know, your your school, your staff, you know, operate on ritualistic engagement. You know, take um, take duties, for example. There's not too many teachers who go and see the teacher in charge of doing the duty roster and ask for more duties. You know, they they do duties because everyone else does so recognizing that ritual engagement is the norm but it shouldn't be the aim the aim should be what we alluded to before which is the authentic engagement which is the one level up again because if we aim for that and we only get ritual or passive engagement then at least kids are still learning but if we only aim for ritualistic and we fall short it's not hard to see it, you know why kids fall into retreatist or rebellious um, kinds of engagement That's it in a nutshell. Even though it's a very big nut.
0: (laughs) And um, I might make it even bigger here by asking this question. But um, with some of those lower parts of the continuum, especially the retreatists, how do you Mm. get them up to the other stages of engagement?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think so. Again, this idea of um, getting these kids and and pulling them up. um, You know, and we talk about that quite a lot. You know, we we often focus on the kids who are struggling and pulling them up. And I often think, you know, this is, that's done in hindsight. It's it's like a we retrofit our approaches to these kids once what we set out to do hasn't worked. And so, really, we need to. How do we reach those kids? Well, we start. We we start from the beginning and saying, okay, well, to what extent, you know, in our planning, to what extent in what we're doing here, does it allow for kids to? enter, you know, we we talk about um, low floor, high ceiling tasks or low floor, high ceiling um, learning experiences. And what that means is it allows, it's a low floor, meaning we can all get on board, but it's high ceiling, meaning that those kids who, if we're being honest, you know, can do what it is we were already asking them to do. Well, there's still lots of space for them to explore and lots of things for them to uh, do. Because, some of these retreaters, by the way, are quite able. They're just a little bit bored with whatever it is we're asking them to do. So, being mindful that we're not just talking about kids who struggle being in the retreaters, it can also be quite capable kids who decide to retreat because, to be honest, the work isn't, you know, that they can do it, right? Um, so, how do we do it? We we go back to that idea, making sure that um, we we they feel like they belong, that this is a place for them. We give them multiple um, ways of going about the, the work in terms of autonomy. I think things uh, like digging into mastery, using uh, strategies from formative assessment, that's a really good way to help kids see the progress that can be made and the progress that they are making. And then, of course, as I said, having a, a bigger purpose to it. If kids think they're just only jumping through a hoop because, well, we've got to and that's what it's all about i think we sell ourselves quite short
1: so i guess yeah just coming back to that authenticity as well um so we're going to move on to mindset now so you are a big advocate for carol dweck's work on mindset um can you tell us why you think growth mindset is so important for students and for teachers
2: yeah quite quite easily there's too many people who think they can't learn anymore or that they don't need to learn anymore Both adults and kids, and the problem with this is the kid, the people who decide they can't learn anymore typically decide that at around about I don't know six or seven years of age. So think of anyone listening, yourself as well. There, you know, call to mind something that you suck at. Think of something that you're at. You know, you just not. Just not musical, or just not sporty, or just not good with numbers, or I'm not a people person, or I'm shy, or I'm no good at public speaking. Chances are, if you're an adult, you've not only just come to that realization, you know, it wasn't at university that you discovered that you weren't creative. Most of us come to these realizations when we're six or seven, you know, most of us who can't sing at 35. Basically, you know, realized we couldn't sing when we were seven, when when the teacher just asked us to mime, you know. And so we need to recognize that people opt out of things far too early, right? And that's usually down to the way in which they've been received, been getting their feedback, right, from teachers or parents or whatever. But the other side is those people who don't think they need to learn anymore because they've got it down pat, you know. And maybe people listening have got colleagues who, for want of a better word, just think they're the, you know, they're, they're the gurus, and and they're not keen on feedback. They don't go looking to challenge themselves. They've worked out what works and they're sticking to it. And so that, in a nutshell, is why I'm an advocate of growth mindset thinking because it challenges that. That, that way of thinking, it challenges the idea that I can't or I don't need to get better, uh, regardless of your ability level.
0: Um, so a lot of teachers want to know how do we actually instill a growth mindset and resilience into our students. Mm. Can you give us any pointers on this?
2: I can. Um, the first thing is to, um, I guess, recognize that, and this is important, that a growth mindset isn't necessarily the right answer so we don't want we're not saying that if you've got a fixed mindset that's inherently a bad thing because it's not it's an inherently human thing what we're saying is that when people uh, are having a have a fixed mindset about something which holds them back either personally or professionally that or or academically that's where we probably want to get in there and, and challenge some of these things so there's the, the, there's basically five things that I think schools need to consider when, you know, because that's the, this is the thing at the moment. They want all their kids to have growth mindsets, right? So these are the five things to consider. The first one, the, the adults, um, the teachers, have to explore the, uh, mindset in their own context. What I mean by that is, you know, if we have colleagues who, you know, Talk about kids in a certain way, you know. Oh, that class. Oh, you know, they've given me this class. They've given me bottom set year nine. What, what am I supposed to do with that? Well, that. Let's be clear. Kids know immediately <laughs> what your mindset is towards them. And there's a interesting research called Pygmalion in the classroom, where which basically talks about. And this is particularly true of younger kids. Um, that they will typically kids will typically rise or fall. Um, based on the expectations that the adults have of them. Um, So it's really critical that teachers know, and they have to know this because this is inherently true, that every kid, regardless of their backstory, has got an equal opportunity to learn That's not to say they've got an equal opportunity to um, perform at the same level, you know, it's not saying that every kid's going to leave and go and be doctors and all that, but it does mean that regardless of a backstory, any kid who comes to you has got an opportunity to learn, grow and develop. And if we don't have that in place then no amount of posters or inspirational stories or iPad apps or whatever is going to make a jot of difference. So the first thing is we have got to make sure that staff have got that, that thinking right. The second one is what I call informal everyday interactions. So catching kids or colleagues when they write themselves off, you know, when they go, oh, you know, I'm I'm useless at maths or things always go wrong for me or I've never been able to or whatever. And just catching them and not being a, you know, not being a smart ass about it, but just sort of saying, but catching them. So sometimes a kid, you know, it's not uncommon for me to do some workshops with kids and they'll turn to me and say, "I'm, I'm rubbish at maths, Dan, I'm rubbish. And I usually try and ch- change the, the tone of the conversation quite quick. So I'll say something like, you know, because I'm not going to say he's not rubbish. If he's rubbish, he's rubbish, right? So, so I'll say something like, oh, do you know why you're rubbish? And he'll say something like, "Nut." Nah. And I'll say, because you're seven. You're seven years old, mate. Everyone's rubbish at maths when they're seven. Even the kids you think are good at maths are actually rubbish at maths. But the good news for you is you've got the rest of your life to get better at maths, right? And, and no one's ever said this to him. Everyone's just told him, oh, but if you try harder, you'll get better at maths. And the last thing he wants to do is try harder at maths because trying hard to him means he's dumb. So just by catching him and making him smile and getting a different take on things, recognising that I be- actually make, but if we sit down together, you and I, you know, I used to be rubbish at maths when I was seven, but I learned a couple of things. And I'm just going to show you a couple of tricks. Anything like that, informal, not, you know, making a big deal of it, that's really, really powerful. The third thing is um, recognising that if we don't um, take our parents with us, not our personal parents, but um, you know, p- parents in the community, then we're unlikely to actually make much progress. In fact, a lot, of, um, a, a lot of initiatives, not just around mindset, but a lot of initiatives in school don't work because kids go home. And what I mean by that is, you might be sitting around a classroom table and saying, Look, mistakes don't, mistakes are great learning opportunities. You know, we really value making mistakes. But if they go home and sit around a dinner table where either mistakes aren't tolerated, like it's perfection or nothing, um, or the other end of the spectrum where they're, you know, the kids might be ridiculed um, for doing poorly, or um, parents, in a misguided attempt to try and make their kids feel better, say things like, "Oh, don't worry about maths, son. Look at me. You know, I've I've got through life all right without being good at maths." Then any amount of um, interventions we try at school are gonna are gonna struggle. Fourthly, once we've sort of worked about this, then we start talking about well, the teaching and the feedback and the assessment. You know, I mean, formative assessment for me is it's got it's the perfect way. To instil growth mindset when done properly, and then finally, thing systemic shifts the way we report, the way we do our parent teacher conferencing, um, in the school um, for staff. You know how is the performance reviews, how how are the professional goals set, all those kinds of things. So those five areas really are the, the you know ways in which we can we can do that.
1: Great answer. You spoke how um, parents can become barriers to growth mindset. Do you think there's any other aspects? within schools or communities that may also act as a barrier?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, Helen Street, who um, is at the University of Western Australia, talks about contextual well-being. What she says there, it's like all the... um, So you might have a a mindset intervention, right, or a mindset approach, but then if everything else is counter to that, so if, for example... um, You know, there's there's an over focus on who the ducks of the school is, and if 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 kids are counseled out of certain subject selections based on their lack of ability, or 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 you know, based on. you know, what they think is going to be better for them professionally or whatever it might be, then that can actually serve to undermine a lot of um, the stuff you might do on that. So certainly it's bit, to be, I guess what the, the point is, it's really hard to have um, a growth mindset just in the same way. It'd be really hard to be creative, even if you're a creative person, if you are then put in a situation um, which didn't value creativity. So even that, you know, a lot of people tell me, oh, yeah, we, we value mistakes and we value learning and we value this. But to be honest, they might talk the talk, but there's a lot of things which don't seem to follow through on that. And, and so, yeah, barriers like um, yeah, organizational cult, cultural barriers um, and, and certainly the parents um, definitely um, can play their part.
0: Uh, Many of your workshops and keynotes also focus on mental health and well-being. Can you tell us why it's so important to you?
2: Um, Why is it important to me? Good question. So, two reasons really. One, um, I was a PE or personal development health and physical education teacher. So, on a professional level, um, I came to a realization about probably not far off 10 years ago now that... um, a lot of my job was all very physical. It was very, you know, stuff that we so obviously sport. But then all the way we a lot of what we taught was cardiovascular health, cancer, diabetes. And I went to a presentation by the World Health Organization, and they were predicting ten years ago that by twenty thirty, depression was going to be the leading cause of uh, disease. And that was a bit of a wake-up call because I kind of thought, well, what do we what do we do here? You know, um, we have an overworked... You know, how do we address mental health? We have an overworked counsellor who doesn't see all the kids that she needs to. We teach mental a unit on mental health once every two years, and if we're being honest, it's a bit of an awkward unit to teach. Um, and so every now and then we get a motivational speaker in to perk the kids up, and I I didn't think that was um, enough to be honest. So I got this scholarship off the government to look at depression in, in, in schools. And that really took me on this journey. That, that was actually looking back the start point for me, getting into this space and looking how engagement mindset really plays into uh, well-being. So that's on the, the professional um, sense. But then on a personal sense, and this would be the same for everyone listening, everybody knows somebody who is struggling with mental well-being and you know i've been given an opportunity to learn more about it i'd also been given an opportunity a platform if you like whether it's through my blog podcasts presentations workshops you name it to to talk about it and i talk about in a way which i hope isn't confrontational it's not you know it's not um I'm not a psychologist, so I'm certainly not talking about it from a psychologist or mental health professional point of view, but really just talking about those everyday behaviors that we can choose to, to do in order to um, enhance not only the well-being of ourselves, but those around us and, and the kids that we teach. The reason it's really, really important now is that the World Health Organization got it wrong when they said it would be the biggest by 2030, uh, they put a press release out in March this year saying it it already is. Um, so, you know, that for me is why it's really pressing, because if we don't get that right, it's you know it's going to be such a huge... And, and the way the world's changing as well, you know, like, I just think there's so many more pressures on the young people uh, than we are growing up, and if I can do anything to shine a light on that, then I'm going <laughs> to...
0: Yeah, definitely. I think the other
1: big one is anxiety, isn't it? We were just Mm. having a conversation earlier today about you know anxiety and how so many kids seem to have sort of diagnosed anxiety now, and Mm. uh, why. So why do you think that has become so prevalent as well?
2: Yeah, I mean, as I just said, I mean, I'm not a mental health professional, so there's probably people with far better qualifications than me. But from um, from the common sense point of View as opposed to a medical point of view, I would suggest that um, we expect a hell of a lot more of our kids than than um, than was ever put on me, and I don't mean that. You know, I I say that that might sound strange, but we expect them to be able to handle all the all their technology. We expect them to handle the fact that you know they're watching um, constant. News feeds and information, and and then they're trying to balance that with this, you know, workloads and the fact that they're carrying the hopes of our nation in the education race on their NAPLAN shoulders. And then we now we're telling them that you know what, even if you do well, chances are a robot or someone in, you know, another country is going to take your job, and and you're going to have five or careers, and there's jobs that don't exist, and ah, you know, and then and then add. Add to that, you've got to, you know, you've got to diarize all this date almost mi- minutely on your social media feeds, and you, by the way, you've got to look good on your social media feeds. That's why we've given you filters, and you know, I just, it's, I reckon it's pretty tough <laughs> growing yeah, up makes at me the moment. Just listening to that, you know, there's so much going on for a kid. I mean, I yeah. when I was, I can't even remember when I was fourteen or fifteen. I can't remember worrying. Obviously, you worry about teenage angst, right? But we didn't have all the other stuff to worry about. We were just worrying about what music, you know, and what group we should fit in with, and, you know, should I cut my hair or not, because what's cool or whatever, but this is, everything's now amplified exponentially. It's, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know, it's, whilst, to be honest, whilst I don't, it's fantastic, I reckon it'd be fantastic to be growing up in this era as well, but, so long as you've got the appropriate support guidance. And, uh, and of course, that's probably one issue where, where we don't have because as parents, you know, we didn't grow up with this. So it's, our advice is pretty narrow, I would suggest.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, it's great that you are creating a dialogue around a lot of these uh, issues that are facing students and also people in general, I suppose, though. Um, but also, what steps can students and teachers take to improve well-being?
2: Move. I'm a PE teacher, so I'm always going to advocate for physical activity, and I don't mean you have to go and kick a football or you know go and join a gym, but just move. Um, We we know, you know, we've done a great job educating people about smoking, right? So even if you light up a cigarette, chances are you know it's not good for you. There's very few people in Australia who light up a cigarette and, you know, they're they're, they're unsure as to the health issues surrounding cigarettes. So they're making a conscious decision and they're going, yep, I'm going to do this, but I like it, so I'll worry about the, the ramifications down the track. We've not done such a great job about... Educate people around um, how technology is making us lazier, you know, so we're sitting down more and more and more. Most people listening to this podcast will be sitting down, I imagine. Um, So get up now and move. (laughs) Go for a walk while you listen to the podcast. Unless you're driving. (laughs) Unless you're driving, stay in your seat. Right. But but it's interesting that, you know. If, even even teachers tend to be sitting down more um, because we can, because we don't need to get up out of our seat and go and speak to our colleagues at the other end of the campus. We can just fire them an, e- an email. Um, so we need to recognise that um, you know we need to move more because if we, if we move our body more, that's going to certainly help. Healthy body, healthy mind and all that. The other thing I'm a huge advocate for is mindfulness. So disconnecting, switching off, just for five minutes, if that's all you can manage, just switch off for five minutes. Um, there's loads of um, you know programs and education and software and apps that you can use that can that can help you do this. Um, or you can just breathe. You can just stop. You can you can go outside, find a nice spot, and just take it in for five minutes, because a phenomenon that I'm talking a little bit about at the moment is that. Um, We've lost the art of the spare moment, you know, so we used to be that you'd have a few spare moments in the day. But now, as soon as we have a spare moment, we look to fill it by grabbing our phone and checking our email or checking our Instagram or uh, or sending a tweet, you know, because we've just had this monumental philosophical thought that we need to share with our followers. Um, and so I'm actually trying to bring back the spare moment and, and keep it spare, you know so for me, what I do is I very rarely will you see any online activity from me after say half seven, eight o'clock at night usually earlier because I just switch my phone off now um, I, don't, I don't feel the need to be connected as much in the same way um, as I used to and the irony of that of course is I'm far more connected to the people who really matter to me my kids my missus you know and my family and my dog right so i'm far more present in the moment because i'm not worrying about how many people like the fact i've just shared a funny meme or a, a you know a, a wonderfully philosophical thought so move more and keep your spare moments spare and then obviously after that teach kids resilient thinking um have access to counsellors, mental health professionals. But again, just from the very um, the very basics, move, spare moments. I reckon that's a good start.
1: Um, Dan, can you please tell us where our listeners can find you online and where they could find a copy of your book, School of Thought?
2: Yeah, sure. So my uh, personal website is danhasler.com and that's where you can find the book. But you can also get it on um, Kindle and Amazon and... I think you can get it, I I think you can get it at some bookshops as well. If you just go online and search for School of Thought, Dan Hasler, um, then it it pops up. Um, Yeah, and and I should say all the profits from that book um, go to the Indigenous Literacy Foundation who go to uh, remote areas of Australia um, delivering books and programmes to some of our hardest-to-reach kids. And so far the sale of School of Thought has raised, I think I'm right in saying just, around about thirty thousand dollars so far so pretty uh pretty happy with that so if you can jump on board uh i'd I'd love it thanks
1: (laughs) that is amazing um well done dan um and look thanks so much for joining us i have just taken so much away from that i think you've described about three of my classes i've had a few (laughs) kids i know individually so i think all that's just resonated so well
0: yeah it's been very uh profound talking to you really appreciate it dan
2: well, I appreciate uh, the opportunity. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks a lot. Thank you.
1: So, Michael, a uh, great interview we have just had then. Um, what are some of the main things you've taken away from that?
0: Uh, well, I really took away the idea of creating and also changing the dialogue around how we engage kids. So even our interactions with them. So making it real-world relevance to what we say to them. So applying it to their context so that they actually engage with the content. Um, and I also liked the idea of once again actually having a dialogue around certain things like well-being because like Dan was saying it's definitely more of an issue in modern society except it's something that seems to be very much you know almost an afterthought like people don't want to talk about it
1: yeah I think things like with anxiety you ask any teacher any type of school whether it's you know rural or low socioeconomic or high socioeconomic private they're all going to agree that you know anxiety is this issue that has come up like never before and yeah i I totally agree with him it does just come down to well-being and the sort of environment that our kids today are placed in
0: yeah exactly um what about you tess what did you take out of this interview
1: oh well look as well as that i think um particularly when he was talking about those challenging classes that you really don't look forward to and you know we've all heard people say like oh now i've got my year 10s next or i've got my year 9s next Um, But actually trying to change your own mindset there because, yeah, he's right. I think the kids would be able to pick up if that's the way that you're entering the classroom and that's the mindset that you have. And yeah, just trying to make them feel safe and respected and valued and the way that that has such a big influence on their engagement. And so, yeah, if if they're not feeling like you respect them, um, then they won't be engaged. Yeah, exactly.
0: So it's us as teachers to essentially set that tone if we want to see that growth mindset instilled in the kids as well. Yeah, that's right. Thanks so much for listening to The Starfruit. And thanks to our guest, Dan Hassler. If you would like to follow us on Twitter, my handle is at Michael underscore Royale and Tessa's is at Tessa underscore Johnson 2.
1: Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast on either iTunes or Stitcher. And feel free to leave a review to give us any feedback on this show. This has been the fourth episode of The Staff Room. Listen out to episode five, which will be available shortly.
0: I'm Michael Royer.
1: And I'm Tessa Johnson.
0: Until next time.